Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So for today, for the message, it's, I think it's our natural tendency in life to put things in boxes. We organize, we consolidate, it kind of makes life easier, right? We do most everything uh, that way. In fact, I think we even put people in boxes and categories. We put God in boxes at times. And I don't think we're always aware of how we put other people in boxes. But in the busyness of how we navigate life, we just do it. And when we do, I think we tend to miss out on things in life. When we put God in a box, we start thinking things like, God, I believe you can do this, but I don't know if you can really do that. And we end up limiting him. He was never designed to be in a box. God is one of the people that should never be in a box. And one of the ways we often put him in boxes is, is to start thinking about how easily it is to stop believing for things that we think are impossible in our lives. We find ourselves focusing, I think, so easily on things that we can do, but we, try to not, we tend to not treat life as thinking about what God can do. I've noticed this in my heart at times, even though I've seen God do miracles in my life and others, I've seen unexplained things that could only have happened because God showed up, things like cancer there one day and gone the next kinds of miracles, and yet I can still put God in a box. I think in the middle of this pandemic and the, and the political challenge, I think it's easier for us to take our understanding of God and, and, and make our understanding of God smaller. We kind of put him in a box at times. I've been praying actually for myself. I've been praying for all of us. That God would touch us and that we would all have a bigger sense of who he is to all of us. So I was actually grateful this last week. We as a staff got to spend time with a bunch of vineyard pastors listening to Doug Rowe, a vineyard pastor, for 30-plus years, shares experiences of a miracle-working God. It was so refreshing, and he talked about remembering the DNA of the vineyard movement, which we're a part of, and I'm so grateful to gather with others, whether online or in person, to be a part of believers who believe and encourage one another in who God is. Doug reviewed for us the foundational distinctives of the Vineyard Movement. Just one of them is this. It says that we live a practical, down-to-earth Christianity that also believes God does miracles. And so we continue to pray for God to heal the sick and do all sorts of things like that. In preparation for this message today, Wendy and I uh, had been talking about God's miracles and remembering you know, a little bit about what we know to be true. And, and it, we could summarize it this way. Christianity would not have gotten off the ground if Jesus' miracles were not true. There were far too many people who saw them and confirmed that they really happened. We would not have Christianity today if there had been no miracles. Yet today we can look at those miracles and say, well, that's just kind of something God did back then. Yet in the series we've been in, we've been talking about how God, the essence of Jesus' ministry is summarized in his first words, that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's breaking into our reality, letting us know that he really is who he says he is in the here and now. And then Jesus had his disciples walk out the reality of that kingdom, and they saw God do miracles through them. People who were common businessmen, 
workers saw God do miracles through them. Jesus told his disciples greater things than he did that they will do. And throughout history, this miraculous power has been present in every single decade of every single century to varying degrees ever since. The truth of Jesus bringing his kingdom here has not changed. I love what Ashley said last week in the video about Sokum. She said, God's sovereignty is complex, but his goodness is simple. And I think that's an anchor we need to hold on to. Jesus shows us who he is by showing us that he's really alive and he's still really powerful today. It's how he told his disciples to show who God was. And so we want to remember, God has power, the power to show up in your life, in your circumstances. It's a central part of who we are as his church. It actually reminds me of a story, uh, a, a guy named Bill Johnson, a pastor, shared. He said, there was a family who the parents saved up all the money they could to take a cruise, but because they spent all the money paying for the cruise, they didn't have extra money for food and other things like that. So the family packed enough peanut butter and jelly and bread and other snacks to make it through the week-long cruise. On the last night of the cruise, the dad went to find out how much it would be to cost to take, his to, to take his family to one of the restaurants on the cruise ship. Just one time. He thought it would be a special event, right? He looked at the menu, but he couldn't tell how much it cost. There were no prices. And of course, we know when there's no prices on a menu, it's way too expensive for most of us, right? So he was discouraged. But he nonetheless asked the host how much it cost to eat at the restaurant. And the host said, I'm sorry, what? And the dad said, well, I want to see how much it costs to bring my family to eat at the restaurant. And the host replied saying, sir, did you not know that once you're on the ship, everything comes with the package? How much do we not realize God's miraculous power comes with the package? God wants to come fresh to us, to engage us in a renewed faith for what he wants to do now in our time, with our family, in our life. The kingdom of God is breaking into our reality home, re reality right now. So driving home from the meeting from the Vineyard Pastors last week, Jeremy and Wendy and I were talking, and Jeremy summarized some of the thoughts that I believe need to be at our core understanding of who we are as a church. He said, the one thing the church, we the church, have to offer that they, the world, cannot is the presence of God. And God's presence all throughout the Bible comes with signs, with wonders, with miracles. So let's break down and recycle some of our boxes. In fact, let's get rid of some of our boxes that we put God in. To do this, we're going to explore the only miracle of Jesus today that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. We're going to actually read it, uh, how John writes it in the story of John 6. Uh, it's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We call it a miracle, and Jesus kind of calls it business as usual for him. So John 6 says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. To, uh, Tiberias. And the large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that the large crowd was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
Now, in Mark's description of this miracle, it takes it talks about Jesus looking at the people with compassion because they had been there a long time listening. It was getting late in the day, and they hadn't had much to drink or much to eat all day, and Jesus knows the people need food, so he asked Philip this question to test him. Now, this test isn't a trick question. It's, it's not like the ones you get from your wife that say, does this outfit make me look fat? <laughs> Jesus asks, where are we going to buy bread? And Philip is calculating in his head the answer. And you can see him doing it. And Jesus, he comes back to Jesus and says, it's going to cost 200 denarii worth of bread. And that still wouldn't be enough to get enough food for all of them. They might just get a bite. We know the crowd was 5,000 men. They didn't include women and children in the count for some reason. And therefore, this crowd could have been as large as fifteen to 20,000 people. And Philip's thinking here, there's absolutely no way we can provide food for that many people. It's going to cost six to eight months of a man's wages to buy enough bread so they can have one bite, much less a whole meal. So basically, Philip is saying, Jesus, we don't have enough to feed them. Then another disciple, Andrew, speaks up and says, well, there's this boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what, what are they for so many? And Jesus, just as a kid, uh, this is just a kid, with, a small kid with some bread. What can we do? I mean, if you had lasagna, maybe we could do something, but not with fish and a couple pieces of bread, right? Andrew seems to be trying to let Jesus know this is all we have. So come on, Jesus, dismiss everyone and tell them to go their own way, get their own dinner. Now, the disciples had already seen Jesus do miracles. I mean, you'd think they would look at the problem differently. Instead of saying, we don't have enough money, all we have is some biscuits and two fish. But I think the problem is the disciples are more focused on what they can't do than what Jesus can do. And isn't that how we live life all too often, ourselves? We have some area, some situation in our life that we struggle with, and instead of bringing it to God, we keep working on it on our own, and we're like Philip and Andrew, trying to figure it out on our own, and that's what Jesus was testing in Philip and his disciples in that moment. Jesus wants to know, in these impossible, difficult circumstances, don't try to figure this out on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He wants us to look at life differently, to see messes and problems differently. Why? Because the reality is all miracles start with a problem to be solved or a mess that was made. I mean, if you're listening today, some part of your life feels like a mess, possibly. There's, there's still hope. There's hope. Maybe it's your finances. You don't know where you're going to pay the next bills. You need the next job or the job promotion. Well, you're out of options. Or, or maybe it's an area you've been stuck in your life and you're going, well, I've been trying to stop doing this and I, and I just can't. And, and there, or maybe it's an area you go, why would anything ever be different? My marriage is in a place of irreconcilable differences and we can't work it out. Or some of you might be thinking, I'm single and how do you ever meet anyone during COVID? Maybe you're in pain and it doesn't go away. Miracles always, every time, start with some kind of problem. So to see more clearly uh, what Jesus is not wanting the disciples and us to miss, let's go back to the question in verse 5. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So did you hear that? What did Jesus say? 
Where shall we not, hey, Philip, here's the problem. How are you going to solve it on your own? See, Jesus never meant for this to be a you thing. It's a we thing. Meaning, apart from me, he's saying, you can do nothing. So any problem that you think is a me problem is actually a we problem. And that's where miracles start in our life. It reminds me when I had problems with our van a couple of years ago. It was going to cost a lot to fix it. And Gary invited me to come over and said, we'll knock it out together. He had all the lifts and the equipment and the tools and the know-how to make it all happen. I didn't have any clue how to do it and was pretty inept with tools and mechanical stuff. But with Gary, I could do it. See, there's a truth in that for us. In life, there are many things we can't fix in our own power. And God is wanting us to invite him to get involved. And that's when miracles can happen. So let's skip down to verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there's much grass in the place, it goes on to say. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed, distributed them to those who were seated and so also the fish he distributed, and they had, it says, as much as they wanted. It's kind of like when my kids go to Olive Garden, they have as many breadsticks as they want, all you can eat. Any other kids like that? You go to Olive Garden for the breadsticks? That's what we do. We take the meal home. It's all breadsticks. So let's see the same miracle from another version to gain even more understanding. Mark records it and says this, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. He could have said it was a little bit of gluttony, but he just said satisfied in that moment. First, Jesus blesses the food. It's given by a little boy. Hey, kids, don't you love how when God actually uses you as kids to lead the way in a miracle? I love when our kids pray for healing. It's, their faith is simple, it's uncomplicated, and it's powerful. So Jesus takes these biscuits and fish and lifts them to God and speaks a blessing over them. And then he lifts his hands, and then he hands them to the disciples. And I can imagine Philip in that moment taking the bread and fish and looking at Jesus and saying, well, what do you want me to do now? You hand this out? I mean, it's just two fish and a couple biscuits, and now you've broken it down so it's even smaller than that. When he blessed, when he blessed it, he was probably thinking, "I thought you know, you'd get really big and multiply instantly." Okay, I'll start passing it out, and I can imagine the disciples walking among the crowd and and saying, "Okay, just take a little bit," as they first start. There's just just take a little bit, okay? And then they they keep going down the rows, and gradually they say, "Well, okay, take a little more," and then you can take a little more and take a bigger portion. I mean, think about it. Had this food remained in the hands of the disciples or the little boy, it would have remained as is. And nothing of significance would have happened that day. The crowd would have been left with basically nothing. But the food didn't stay in their hands. It got passed into Jesus' hands. And he took it, took it, he blessed it, he magnified it, he gave it back to the disciples for them to pass around. Now, when did it change? I mean, honestly... We don't know when it actually multiplied from the story. We can't say that. What we know is that it multiplied to the point that everyone had their fill. It was abundance. 
I think one of the most powerful lessons that we will ever learn as Christians is when we give out of our weakness, out of our lack, when into the hands of Jesus, when we surrender it all to him, however small it is, that's when we begin to see God show up and move in God-sized things happening. Verse 12, it says, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that, are, that nothing may be lost. Jesus was eco-friendly, right? So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that they had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So how many baskets did they lift, get, get of leftovers? It was 12 baskets from five loaves and two small fishes. Can you imagine how much fun that would have been to be doing that job that day? And then pick, hand it out and see it multiplied and then go pick up all those leftovers? See, the point here is Jesus blessed the food. But no one saw the miracle until they did what Jesus told them to do, to give it out. They didn't wait until it looked like there was enough to act. They stepped out and did what Jesus asked them to do. In a sense, this is a very small portion. It, it, it kind of pales in comparison to Jesus of what End Poverty Plus is all about. We as a church aim to bring good, the good news of Jesus to every single person by seeking the blessing and prosperity of our community as we share the good news of Jesus' love with them. And we got to do that along with the little bit that we took and we used it. And our community responded big time, donating food and other donations to help those who have tremendous need living right around us. This miracle of Jesus speaks directly to us about these efforts. We give a little bit of what we have. We ask God to bless it and expand it to meet the needs, not only physically, it's much more than the food that we gathered yesterday, this last week. We are asking God to touch people spiritually, to save them, to bless them, to give them peace, to turn their lives and their fortune around in life. For a simple, from, a, from a simple standpoint, for those of you who have, for those people who don't have anything, they're going to receive these gifts. That food donated is a bit of a miracle to them, even right. But beyond that, we're praying that people who will come to faith in Jesus as a result. So don't minimize the giving of something small. With God, it can change everything. In fact, I want to stop right now in the middle of this message, and I want to pray that God will multiply the gifts we gave yesterday, that people's lives will be changed. It won't just be a meal, but by receiving a box of mac and cheese or a bag of lotions, that that, help, that, that that helps them with where they're at, that they will actually, in that moment, experience God's love, His presence, and it will turn their lives around, transform them, lift them out of the poverty or the difficulty that they're facing, and they'll meet Jesus, and hope will enter those lives. So will you just join me as we pray? Lord, we do pray that the truckload of food that we sent out yesterday, the, the carloads of stuff for Chloe and out of darkness, Lord, that we ask that you would be upon that stuff, that when people receive it from other Christians who are ministering to them, that they would experience the presence and power of Jesus, that they would experience hope, 
when they're hopeless, that they experience the possibility of a way out of their circumstance, when they feel like there's no way out. And Lord, most of all, that they would know how much you love them, how much you care for them, and that they would give their lives to you and watch you transform their desperate circumstances into abundance and blessing and being a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we have a problem, when we see a problem, we know that we can try to do it on our own. But when we realize that when we do what we can, we get only what we can get. When we include God, though, and give him our weakness, even our failures, we get an entirely different outcome. Because weakness, even failure, plus God equals abundance, more than enough. As a result of this miraculous meal, the crowd actually goes on to tell us that they wanted to make Jesus king. The text says it this way. It says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus basically tells his disciples to get in a boat, go across the lake, because he wants some alone time. He stays behind. Jesus knew a storm was coming, and he wanted his disciples to walk out a deepening of their understanding of what it means trust God when things seem impossible. I mean, as if the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't enough, Jesus has another lesson for this day in the life of the disciples. The wind and the waves, they become rough, almost impossible to navigate in the middle of the night, even for experienced fishermen like several of them were. These disciples were struggling for hours, working the oars in the pitch black of night in what we understand from the Sea of Galilee were likely 20-foot waves. They had just witnessed Jesus feeding the 5,000. And they probably actually still had some leftover bread, a little bit soggy now, and some fish in the boat. They witnessed this miracle, and yet now they find themselves struggling to get across the lake. And what do they do? They try to do it on their own. The essence of the story gives you, gives you the idea that you can probably hear them saying, row harder on the right, tighten the sail, bail water faster. And despite their efforts, they're not getting anywhere. And then suddenly, Jesus shows up supernaturally walking on the water. The disciples are freaked, and Mark 6 says it this way, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. I probably would too, right? Wouldn't you? For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Jesus says, It's okay, it's just me. I'm here with you. And in John, it says, then they were glad to take him into the boat. I'm sure they were. And immediately the boat was at the land to where they were going. So Jesus climbs the boat, and boom, they're on the other side of the lake immediately. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you just imagine this 24 hours these disciples have just experienced? That's cool stuff. You give a little to God. You give a few fish and a, and a little bit of bread, or you invite him into the boat, whatever your boat stands for in your life, and God will do things you can't do in your own strength. Without God, they couldn't get anywhere. Jesus steps in the boat, and boom, immediately they're right where they needed to be. See, Jesus continues to share how the next day the crowd looks for Jesus. Uh, 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 John shares this, knowing, looking for Jesus because he, they, didn't, they knew he didn't go in the boat, but they couldn't find him. 
so it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I'm sure he wanted to say, oh, I took the short, road, walk, short route walking on the water, but they probably wouldn't believe that, right? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You got the benefit of the signs. What Jesus is telling them, you're looking for me because you ate the loaves, you had your fill, your physical needs were met, you're not really looking for me. Do not, and he goes on and says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the God, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So God uses food to help these guys understand the gospel and how God understands our hunger. Jesus uses the word sign, you ate the bread, you got this sign, you ate what it, the sign produced. This bread, it's a sign, it, it, it points you to a thing, a sign points you to a thing. And Jesus tells them that their forefathers ate manna in the desert, which was a miracle, but they died. Kind of a new, neat contrast, right? The miracle, the sign could not stop them from dying. And Jesus tells them, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, when Jesus talks about the true bread, Jesus is actually talking about himself. Jesus is saying, let's move past the temporary satisfaction of of a miracle, of the need met, whatever it is in your life, whatever that sign is, which is wonderful, but let's go for an even deeper thing, a more lasting, real thing. He said, here's the bread that you can eat and not die. He said, it's me. I'm the living bread. You trust me. So Paul Tripp describes it, this with an analogy, and it's yet another vacation analogy, which means I must want to go on a vacation soon. I don't know. He says, uh, imagine a, a family going to, on vacation. They save up all their money to go to Disney World, and they pack up their bags, and they head for Orlando. And along the way, uh, they see a sign uh, that says 120 miles to Disney World. So they stop there. They unpack all their stuff. They set up camp. They have their vacation cooking hot dogs at, over a fire by that sign. That would be ridiculous, right? But that's what they were doing with Jesus. And that's what we do oftentimes when we stop and settle for putting our stock in the sign or the miracle. The sign is not the thing. The sign cannot do what you want. Jesus is telling the crowds, me providing you an endless buffet or whatever other miracle he's provided that day before will never fully satisfy you. He's saying, I am the bread you need. You eat me and you will not be hungry anymore. You trust me, you abide in me, you, you follow me, you will never be left alone. Don't be satisfied with a sign or the miracle. Receive it and turn even more to the one who that sign fully points to, Jesus. You see, because Jesus is telling us and showing us through the Gospels that miracles are an integral part of Jesus' life and the life of the church. Miracles start when we include Jesus in the equation rather than trusting only in ourselves. 
But it's Jesus who wants you to come, who wants to come into your life and do what only he can do. A miracle that draws you closer to him into greater obedience and love of him that transforms your lives in more ways than just getting a miracle, getting healed, or getting food. Here are some of the questions that might help apply this to your lives. Worship team, come on back up. Whatever your life, are you not inviting Jesus into the equation? Pray and ask God to come in and do a miracle in a specific and detailed way in that area. Another question, why? Ask yourself, why do I leave Jesus out of the equation? Maybe pray and invite the Holy Spirit to lead you to practice the discipline of sitting down and allowing Jesus time to speak to you and come into whatever situation you're facing. What situation in your life are you about to give up on? What area in your life do you feel like you just don't have enough, whether it's hope or ability or whatever it is? Remember, miracles start with a problem, often a mess, many times even a mess that we have made ourselves. That little boy brought five biscuits and two fish to feed 5,000. It's not enough to solve the problem. So take the little that you have, the little bit of time, the little bit of emotional energy you have, the little bit of resources and faith you have, and give it to God and let him bless it and see what he's going to do. Not just in your life, but through your simple gifts, like this child, to see thousands of lives touched and changed by Jesus. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.